When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I'm Liv, and I'll be completely upfront with you guys, plus you can see it in the description and title. Today's episode is not new. I'm so sorry. I wanted to get another Odyssey episode out to you all today, but... I'll be honest, I am just exhausted. I've had so much going on uh, in my regular life, and that has made me have to work a bit more in my regular job, and that has resulted in not more than one day off in a row to do anything, and I've 
little spoiler, been recording another podcast to cross over with. So that'll be very exciting, but it's not coming out or ready yet. Which just meant, honestly, I just could not get an episode out for this week. And I'm so sorry, but I will be back with the Odyssey next week. And this week, I'm just going to replay you a favorite, an episode that I thought of because of the crossover that's coming, because I will be discussing the book, Circe, with another podcaster. But until then, here is my episode on the witchy witch herself. It's the mini-myth about Circe. Enjoy, and I will be back with you with a new episode oh so soon. And just a final quick note to my Patreon patrons as well. I'm also sorry I haven't had anything for you guys this month, but I will have lots coming up and hopefully something a little bit special. Okay, thank you for understanding. I know you all do. You're all wonderful. Hi. Hello. Welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. I'm Liv, and oh, how I love mythology. We're back with another mini-myth, and this one, I must say, is probably one of the most anticipated and requested topics I could possibly do, based on all the messages you wonderful people have sent me quite often. All thanks to a little author by the name of Madeline Miller, who wrote a little book called The Song of Achilles, and then last year wrote another little book called, well, Circe. To any of you who thought I really wouldn't do this one... So many of you asked, as if I would never do it. You guys, she's amazing. It's just that she had to come with the Odyssey. But now, we're here. Now, speaking of the book, there will be spoilers for the book Circe by Madeline Miller in this episode. So if you're looking to read it without having anything spoiled, I'd skip this episode and come back when you've read it. That might apply also to the forthcoming Odyssey episode. I mean, probably, because Circe entails all her actions in the Odyssey, and I will be talking about those actions next week. So read up or skip until you have. Now again, I must remind you that technically her name is pronounced Kirke, which is quite beautiful, and I almost wish I'd made the call a few episodes ago to actually pronounce it like that the whole time, but instead I went with the Western English interpretation, which also provides a connection to Game of Thrones, so that works too. In any event, it's actually Kirke, but I will be calling her Cersei. Now, to those of you who read the book and loved it and want me to talk about it, I'll be talking about a few of her episodes in this, but more of them will come up as we get there in the Odyssey. And honestly, I found enough for this episode that will that there will probably be another one about our lovely witch. So just generally stay tuned. But here's the good stuff. Mini Myth. It's Cersei, not Cersei. One's a badass witch and the other's a badass bitch. As I told you last week, Circe is most often described as the daughter of Helios, the Titan sun god, and Percy, an oceanid. Together, Helios and Percy have four children, our girl Circe, Aetes, Pasiphae, and Perses. All have magic in them. The women are described most commonly as witches, while the men magicians I'm not certain how much of that is translation of ancient Greek and how much is sexism, but honestly, I don't particularly care with this one, because I love the idea of calling the women witches. It sounds more fun and badass than magicians, so we're going with it. 
So Circe is a witch, a witch who lives on the island of Aiaia in the Tyrrhenian Sea, the sea off the western coast of Italy. It's said she was brought there by her father, Helios, on his winged chariot, the same one that brings the sun across the sky every day. There she lived by herself, with lions and wolves that she keeps as pets. Stories of Circe span many varied myths, which couldn't be more clear if you've read Madeline Miller's book. Circe finds herself in the middle of so many myths we know, though we might not have known that she was there. Truthfully, I didn't realize Circe was so involved throughout the mythology, to the point where at times I felt like the book might be reaching, trying to put her everywhere at once. But of course, that's not the case. As I've said, Madeline Miller knows her shit. First up in our stories of Circe, her encounters with a certain other famous witch of Colchis. Circe is the aunt of another famous witch, Medea, who's the daughter of Circe's brother, Aetes, king of Colchis. Listen back on the Medea episode for more on her story. Sadly, it was so long ago I don't remember if Circe came up in my telling, but I'll tell you about it now. When Medea and Jason are escaping Aetes, having stolen the golden fleece I talked about in the Ares episode, she finds a way to distract her father. You see, Medea, as she fled Colchis, had abducted her younger brother. As they're sailing away, Medea kills her brother and begins cutting him into pieces, flinging each piece into the sea as they go. In order for her father, Aetes, to give his son a proper burial, Aetes must stop and pick up every piece Medea throws in the water, which in turn gives her and Jason enough time to get away. Once Medea's killed her brother with the help of Jason, both require purification, so when they land on Circe's island of Aiaia, this is what they're looking for. According to Apollonius of Rhodes, whose telling of Jason and the Argonauts is one of the most famous, when they landed on her island, they find Circe, essentially, splashing seawater on her face. She'd had a nightmare, and this was her trying to wake herself out of it. In her nightmare, Circe had seen all the rooms and walls of her house pouring blood, and all her magical herbs burning. She'd managed to use blood to put the flames out, and finally, she'd woken. Jason, Medea, and his men come across her like this, and immediately know she's the goddess sister of Aetes. She invites them into her home, and Jason and Medea follow. Medea, though, hides her face from Circe. Circe knows why they're there. It's clear from how they present themselves. So she goes about with the rites to purify them of their murder. She sacrifices a pig, calls on Zeus as the cleanser, and she burns offerings in an attempt to keep the Arenaways at bay. When Circe's completed the purification of Jason and Medea, she sits them down as guests and asks them why they've come, why they'd seek her out for purification. So, finally, Medea looks up, revealing her face and eyes for the first time. Circe can see immediately that she's family. The children of the sun god, Helios, have eyes that shine like sunlight. When Medea tells Circe everything that led to this moment of purification, Circe is disturbed, and she asks Medea and Jason to leave, just banishing them for her island. Just banishing them from her island. This was too much, even for the witch. 
You readers of Madeline Miller's book will recognize this moment. It's easy to see where the scene comes from. It's near identical to the book and so cinematic. Next in the saga of Circe, a story of her primarily told by Romans, and in the case of my telling, it's my beloved Ovid. So beware of Roman names for gods, though I'll always tell you the Greek too. This story of Circe is connected with the story that precedes it in Ovid's Metamorphoses, but I only have time to tell you the one right now, so bear with me. Scylla. Scylla, at this time, is a Nereid, a sea nymph. On this day, too, she's avoiding the depths of the ocean and traveling along the shore to get to where she wants to go. Of course, she's a nymph of the sea, so while she's on land, she's naked. So she's wandering the shoreline without any clothes, and eventually she gets tired, so she finds a shallow pool and hangs out there for a quick rest. Meanwhile, there's a man named Glaucus, who's new to the depths of the sea. He'd only recently found his sea legs, as I'd call them, though we're not talking about him being comfortable on a boat. Glaucus comes upon Scylla, and as a man in a story from Greek mythology, he sees her and he wants to take her. He speaks to her, saying something he thinks will keep her around, will make her want to speak with him and maybe have sex with him. But it doesn't work. Scylla is spooked, as any woman of the 21st century would be, of a creepy, strange man arriving out of the sea and hitting on her. She runs, and she runs fast. In an instant, she reaches a mountain not far from the beach. It's a high mountain, and it's steep. Here she stops, feeling safer, and she finally has a chance to look at this strange man who's pursuing her. Glaucus is interesting, to say the least. Scylla isn't sure if he's a human or a monster. He has long, dark green hair and a beard that wraps around his shoulders and down his back, and at just below his blue-skinned waist, his body changes from that of a human, his legs merge together and taper into the tail of a fish. He's basically what we know of now as a merman. He might as well be singing a song with Flounder and Sebastian, except that maybe he still has a dick? It's hard to say, but I'm kind of gathering by this description that he's a man up until his upper thighs, which is where they merge together into a tail. What an image. Glaucus takes this opportunity, though, to explain himself to Skella, both who or what he is, and his intentions with her. I'm not a monster, he tells her. I'm a god of the sea, as powerful as Proteus, Triton, or Palaemon. Proteus is a sea god who Homer calls the old man of the sea, which I just love. Triton is a son of Poseidon and kind of an ass. And Palaemon is a character I can't easily find information about, except to learn that it's now a genus of shrimp. So maybe he was a shrimpy sea god? That would be cool. In any event, Glaucus tells Scylla of his powers as a sea god. Then he tells her he used to be a mortal man, that he was a fisherman who, after a day of fishing, discovered a stretch of shoreline next to a meadow that had never been seen before. It had never had farmers grazing sheep on it, it had never had wild animals living on it, it had never been used at all, this piece of land. 
Glaucus discovers the land, and he uses the spot to dry his fish and count his catch of the day. But as he lays them out on the ground, the fish start to move again. They start to move as if they were still happily in the water. They're so much alive again that they all make their way back to the nearby sea, and Glaucus is left with no catch at all, just sort of staring at the grass with a big question mark across his face. He tells Scylla that he'd try to discover how this had happened. Was there something on the ground that could have brought these fish back to life? Was that even possible? He'd grabbed a handful of grass from beneath where the fish had been laying and eaten it. Which, I mean, weird. One, there was just a bunch of dead, then not dead fish lying there. And two, if you're suspecting something of being magic, should you just eat it? And I mean, three, it's grass. Anyway, he did that, and in an instant, he was transforming from the mortal man he was to the fish-tailed sea god he is now. He tells her that he'd immediately known he was to live in the sea. He jumped in and been met with a warm welcome in the kingdom of Oceanus and Tethys, who got rid of any mortal left in him. Glaucus tells Scylla all this, describing how powerful and important he now is in the kingdom of gods beneath the sea. But he says to her, What good is all this if hot nymphs like you aren't attracted to me? Fine, this is not the exact language Ovid uses, he's a bit more poetic, but it is the point that Glaucus is trying to make to Scylla. Scylla, though, isn't much interested in this story from Glaucus, and she runs away. Glaucus, angry at this rejection, heads to Circe's island of Aiaia to speak with her. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Glaucus reaches Cersei's island and seeks her help. He tells her that he's come to her for a remedy to his love and the rejection he's just experienced from Scylla. The idea that he loves Scylla is a stretch, but you know, mythology. Glaucus believes he loves Scylla and he believes he deserves her love. Ugh. But again, mythology. He tells Cersei that he knows the power of herbs. They changed him into what he is now. And can't she use them to help him with Scylla? He tells her he won't repeat everything he told Scylla, how he professed his love and how he complimented her, and, well, if we're to believe Ovid has told us everything about this interaction in the previous bit, he's lying through his teeth. But whatever, he basically makes him sound like a love-struck youth who professed his deepest desires to a woman who scorned him for no reason. Again, I call bullshit, but this is what he tells Cersei. Glaucus asks Cersei to make Scylla love him, not to make him forget that he loves her, but to make her love him. But, Ovid tells us, there's no one more liable to fall in love than Circe. He suggests that she may have been cursed by Venus, Aphrodite, because it was her father Helios who spied on Venus and Mars, Ares, when they were having all the sex behind her husband, Vulcan, or Hephaestus's back. A fascinating idea, and one that we might easily connect to Circe's actions in Madeline Miller's book. But in any event, What Ovid is telling us here is that, in this moment, hearing Glaucus' story and his pleas for the love of Scylla, instead, Circe falls for him. Circe tells Glaucus that he'd do better looking for a woman who appreciates him as he is, who isn't troubled by his fishy appearance. You shouldn't have to plead with someone to love you, she says. Sound advice, Circe. But she goes on. You should be looking for someone who loves you for you, and that someone is me. She tells him that even though she's a powerful goddess, daughter of the sun god himself, she loves him. Won't he have her instead of longing after Scylla, who doesn't like him at all? Cersei really puts herself out there, very quickly. I do believe I trust Ovid's guess earlier about Venus's involvement in Cersei's behavior. Glaucus, though, doesn't change his mind. Grass will grow in the sea, and seaweed will sprout from the mountains on land before my love for Scylla changes, he tells Circe, getting angrier by the moment. But Circe can't hurt Glaucus for his rejection and his anger at her. He's a god, just as she is. So she turns her feelings of hurt and rejection on 
Scylla. Does this ever get old? Women in mythology blaming other women for the faults of men? Even Ovid can't shield us from it. Circe takes her anger at Glaucus out on Scylla. She mixes a potion of all the worst of her herbs, whose juices we're told are horrific. As she mixes, she chants the spells of Hecate, and she finds Scylla. There's a cove where Scylla finds shelter during the hottest part of the day. Circe goes there, and she pours her noxious potion into the cove where Scylla will visit any moment. As she pours, Ovid tells us, she chants an obscure phrase of tangled words, a labyrinth. Scylla arrives and jumps into her cove that she visits every day. But on this day, it's different. The moment the bottom half of her body hits the water, she changes Horrible, barking dogs appear. She tries to get away, but she can't. Her legs have transformed into so many monstrous, barking dogs. Glaucus doesn't want Scylla like this, so he runs from her and from Circe for what she's done. And Scylla... Scylla stays in her cove, and there she taunts and ruins ships as they go past. Of course, in Madeline Miller's book, Circe, these things happen, though a little differently. Circe, while still the villain against Scylla, is much more sympathetic, less vindictive, though still, we're not supposed to believe Circe did the right thing there. But it's interesting to have her portrayed as transforming Scylla out of a kind of youthful jealousy, along with the power to make such a change, versus this older witch who's already established on her island and doing it still out of jealousy, but much less out of a kind of youthful naivete. I haven't found any source that describes Glaucus's original transformation as being caused by Circe, so that part might be an addition by Miller, but still, not at all a stretch of the imagination to attribute that to her naive powers as well. Anyway, that's all to say I really enjoyed the way that Madeline Miller took that story and sort of switched it around. Versus the Medea one, which is pretty much exact. Anyway, it's lovely. I really enjoyed researching this, especially after having read the book. Now, I don't want to finish this episode without telling you all what I thought of the book. Not after I spent so much time raving about the Song of Achilles, which I stand by as being one of the most incredible love stories basically ever. Circe, honestly, I don't feel as strongly about. Ultimately, of course, I love that it exists. It's a book about a strong woman in mythology. We need that, and I want to be inspired by that because one of these fucking days I will finish my novel about exactly that, even if mine does skew a little more towards a young adult. But that's enough self-promotion, Liv. We're talking about Circe. I recommend it, absolutely, especially because I do think my not-as-strong opinions are in the minority when it comes to the book, and that's great. I'm glad so many people have connected with it and become huge fans both of Miller and of mythology itself through it. I know I found more than a few listeners after they read the book and went in search of more Greek mythology. So that is awesome. It's so wonderful how much people love it. Anyway, if you haven't read it, it is absolutely worth your time. Thank you all for listening to this not-so-mini-myth. I should have known Circe would have more than a mini-myth's worth, but I tried this anyway. Like I said, I'm sure there are much more stories to tell, and certainly more that connect with Miller's book, so stay tuned, because I can see myself doing another Circe episode in the future. 
I had to stop researching this one just because it got so long and I'm trying to do this while also doing your Q&A because I work every day until I'm expected to release this episode. Anyway, more Cersei to come. And while we're still on the topic of Cersei, I've said her name so many times, I'd like to announce that I'm hoping Thursday, but definitely in the next couple of days, I will be releasing the inaugural episode of my new Patreon content. This is a pilot project I'm hoping will become the permanent Patreon content for my $5 and up Patreon patrons. I'll be doing what I'm calling companion episodes, starting with a companion episode to Cersei. These episodes will be probably mini-myth length. They'll detail all the variations that I had to leave out of a particular story. As I've told you all before, there are countless variations in most Greek myths, and while I sometimes add in little details that differ, I usually have to pick a version to tell you so that it still sounds like a coherent story. So this is my opportunity to share with you those variations. I'll be doing the episodes alongside any stories that have these variations to be told, which will be many. There'll be at least one per month, and they'll be released within a couple days of the episode that they accompany. So if you're already a $5 patron, thank you and stay tuned. If not, consider becoming one. You can sign up through my website, mythsbaby.com. And another new addition to my website. You can now find a page there called Stories. There you'll find a list of the stories and myths I've already told. I'm working on getting them all linked up to the episodes where they appear, but that's going to take some time. So far, there's a list that's mostly complete, but I do still have to dig into stories to find every little bit I've talked about. Now, if you have a suggestion for a story you'd like me to cover, you can go to that page, search for what you're looking for, and either be pleasantly surprised to find I've already talked about it, or know that you've got a new one for me and enter it into the suggestion box on that same page. Happy hunting. Thank you all. You're the best. I'm Liv, and oh, how I love this shit. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.